So when a, a pastor gets to the uh, front of the room and looks up on the wall and sees the time and sees that we're way ahead of schedule, <laughs> what does that mean for the congregation? Oh. How are you at throwing parties? Do you like to throw parties? You know, maybe it depends on the kind of party. You know, there are some parties that are tradition parties. Uh, you're just, you do them all the time. There's a certain tradition to them. And we might think of Thanksgiving or Christmas. And, and you just have a way of doing it. In fact, everybody knows who's going to bring a particular dish. And you show up. And, and it doesn't take a ton of organization because, well, there's tradition. And you share in that party together. There are other parties that are planned parties. You know, where, where you need to think through all the details. Who, who should be on the invite list? Will our work friends get along with our church friends? Will, will we have enough hors d'oeuvres? And, and what should we do if there's a lull? And, and you think through all the plans. And then there are those spontaneous parties. You know, the ones that just break out and all of a sudden, before you even realize it, a party's taking place. They typically gather around uh, one or two people that just have that ability to, to make life fun, and then everyone's sharing in that fun together. You know, in some ways, a worship service is a bit of all three of those things. There's a tradition. People have been coming together for centuries, week in and week out, to worship. There's a tradition to the party that we call worship. And some of it's planned. Even this past week, there were leaders in our church thinking through, you know, what songs should we sing? And, and who's going to be our greeters? And what should greeting look like? And, and who's going to arrange the, the prayers and all those pieces? So we have tradition and it's planned. And then a worship service is, by all means, intended to be spontaneous. We know that when two or three gather in Christ's name, that God is here with us that Christ is here with us. And when God shows up, we don't know what's going to take place. And God may be accomplishing all kinds of things in your heart and in your mind that you didn't even know was going to happen today. There's always the chance, too, that one of you will be spontaneous, and, and we don't know what that'll look like. Um, one of the things with parties is that even the best of parties can reach that point you know, where a party takes a turn. You know, it's, everything's going great, and then all of a sudden that party makes the shift. Maybe there was a couple that uh, decided to use that experience, that context, to, uh, to finally address their disagreement that they had this morning, you know, and, and then everyone backs off and heads their own way. Or maybe someone accidentally cut themselves in the kitchen and had to be taken to the ER and people go, well, that's, a, that's our, our cue. Let's, let's go ahead and go home. Or maybe, you know, when that one uncle ends up dancing in the street in his underwear, everyone goes, well, <laughs> we're done. Let's go home. You know, today's worship service could be one of those occasions We've gathered, we've sung, we've, we've had this experience of, of, of encouraging one another in conversation before the service even began, and, and then we come to this point where we look at a text. And every worship service has this, where, where we come to that sermon, and, and not because of the skill or lack of skill of a pastor, but, but maybe God has a word for us that we really don't want to hear, and the party takes a turn. 
This morning, we're beginning a new sermon series. It's, uh, well, it's kind of a, 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 a rehab of past sermon series. Uh, we've been doing this thing during the summer where we uh, uh, set aside some Sundays and take a look at some Psalms, uh, our summer in the Psalms. And so this July, the five Sundays of July, we're going to look at five different Psalms. And if you're unfamiliar with the book of Psalms, it's, it's a collection of 150 poems uh, or songs. In fact, the Hebrew word, uh, the Hebrew title of the book means songs or hymns or praise. It's interesting because uh, there are more laments than praises, and, uh, but the, psalm, the book of Psalms overall is called praise or hymn, uh, songs. Today, we're going to look at Psalm 81. And if you look in the handout that you were given today, there's actually a, a, a sheet to take notes on the sermon, and on the back of that, we've pr- provided a printout of the psalm itself. And so, uh, if you have your own Bible, please, by all means, feel free to open that. And if you're at home uh, participating, we encourage you to make sure that you have your Bible open so you can go through and make notes and, and follow along the text as well. One of the things you'll find in a lot of the psalms are some introductory notes, uh, some Uh, statements at the very beginning, some instructions. These most likely were not part of when the psalm was originally written, but but were added as uh, the collection of psalms uh, began to come together. For us, we find the words, to the choir master, according to Giddeth of Asaph. So a choir master would have been someone at the temple that was in charge of all the songs. And and all the uh, gathering them together and helping to lead the chorus of singers. And uh, we're not really sure about the meaning of according to Giddeth. We, we've come up with three different possibilities for what that phrase might be. And since it's not integral to the understanding of, um, of our text today, we'll leave that for another time's uh, discussion. And then of Asaph. And you can find Asaph, actually, the name in the Old Testament. In, in First Chronicles, we find that when David uh, was establishing a group of singers to go in front of the Ark of the Covenant, he called upon Asaph to be first. And then he had others in support of him, and he was responsible for going forward and singing song. So indeed, Asaph could have been the choir master for this particular psalm. What's more interesting, I believe, is the structure of the psalm. The psalm really has two parts to it. The first part is all about the party, and then the feeling changes. In fact, I encourage you as we, as we read through it, be open and, and observe. See, see if you can find that the difference in the feeling between the first part of the psalm and the remainder of the psalm. Our text again is Psalm 81, and we'll read through the whole of the thing. Hear the word of God. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, I delivered you. 
I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. May God bless the reading of his word, and may God shine his favor upon us as we come under his word today. Did you catch the change? Did you catch the change? Following the pattern of the psalm, we're going to divide our time into two parts. We're going to have one part is a festival for the faithful, and the other part being a fiat from the Father. A festival for the faithful and a fiat from the Father. So let's take a look first at a festival for the faithful. Let me mention a date to you and see if some of you might already know the story we're going to go toward. November 20th, 1982. November 20th, 1982. Let me give you another clue. It's known as the big game. The big game was called the big game because it had the big play in it. Yet it was the year that Stanford was playing Cal. And there, uh, um, it was a a pretty good game all for that. It was an important game for uh, the NC2A uh, uh, postseason games. And, and both teams in football, they were, they were trading back and forth in the second half. And with just four seconds to go, Stanford scored a field goal and went up 20 to 19. The game was theirs. 20 to 19. The call came in to the kicker from the sidelines, squib the kick. Just kind of let it roll down the field a little bit so you can really concentrate your efforts and, and tackle the Cal Bear player and the game would be over. But Cal had different plans and they picked up the ball and they made five lateral passes, which meant that they could keep moving the ball forward and, and that, that they made their way and they scored a touchdown. It's interesting because as you look at the picture here, that... Um, the band, the band uh, from Stanford, well, they, they weren't really paying attention. They weren't really listening for the whistle. They, they believed that they had already won the game, that the game was over, and that the party should be gone. Let the festivities begin. And in doing so, they even got in the way of the play and, and helped Cal out. It's kind of what we see in our psalm. It begins with a call to celebrate before the Lord. Hey, let's have the party. In fact, let's take a closer look. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. And do you notice these words that stand out, these directive words, these imperatives? Sing, shout, raise music, 
sound the tambourine, blow the trumpet, sing, shout, raise, sound, blow. You get the sense a party needs to unfold. It's time. Let's gather together. In fact, we have a clue here as to what the party is. The word for trumpet is the word shofar, which this is a special horn, and it was blown at a particular feast of the people. And we're given more clues when we read new moon at the full moon, our festival day. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. God in the law for his people, he said, listen, there's three times during the year I want you to gather in Jerusalem. In fact, I'm going to require you gather together in Jerusalem. If you happen to live in different parts of the country, I want you to come together in Jerusalem and have a feast, have a party This particular feast was in recognition of what God had done as the people were leaving Egypt when God took them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and how for a a time, uh, for a 40-year time, they had to live in tents, and God provided for them. And so during the feast, they they would move out of their homes, they would live out in public spaces, and and they'd put together little tent-like dwellings, and they would celebrate the feast. In fact, the people, as they're celebrating, as they're announcing their party, and they're saying, we're going to sing, and we're going to shout, we're going to raise, we're going to sound, we're going to blow the trumpet, they say, let's acknowledge, this is God's idea. We find it in verses 4 and 5. They refer to a statute, a rule, a decree. They're acknowledging we're partying because God told us. God said, you know, he said, listen, this is one of your feasts. I want you to come together, and we're doing exactly what God wants us to do. God, you declare this for us, and look, we're being obedient. We're following through on what you have asked us to do, and so we're going to sing, and we're going to shout, and we're going to praise the Lord. It's time to bring out the fried chicken and to serve up the Scotcheroos. It's time to party. And we all like parties. Maybe this is similar to our Sundays. You know, we love coming together. People love to come together. Maybe there's some of us that are a little grouchy and we kind of go, all right, I'll go, I'll go. But for a lot of us, we love coming together. After all, we have donuts, free donuts. And if for nothing less, we get to get a little sugar high, maybe a little caffeine, we're good. We like our parties. It's our special day of in-gathering. And maybe we even include, you know, conclude, you know, God says in the Bible that we shouldn't neglect meeting together. So God, this is your idea. We're going to come together. We're going to have a party. It's a good time for us. It's your, it's your idea, God. But then the psalm takes a turn. It takes a turn. Now it's a fiat from the Father. Do you know the word fiat? It, it means decree a proclamation. You might say, well, why didn't you just use the word decree? Because of alliteration, okay? Every pastor has to make it um, with the same letter. Look at the last part of verse 5. It says there that I hear a language I had not known. I heard a language I had not known. Now, if you're looking, if you're reading out of a new international version, 
you'll find that the NIV translators added a, a, an adverb. So they added the word where. It's not in the original language. And, and what they're saying is that they see this particular line as really describing Egypt, that is connected to Egypt, which is also in verse 5, in Egypt where I had heard a language I didn't know. But when you look at the ESV, the NRSV, and some other translations, you, you find that that's not the, the interpretation. In fact, among the scholars that I checked uh, just on background on this, that the majority would go a different direction. That this is where we see the turn taking place. That even as they're shouting, even as, as they're saying they're paying attention to God's decrees and statutes and rules, they're hearing something different. I hear a language I had not heard before. And then we get into verse 6 and 7. And God reminds them of when he saved them. Verse 6 reads, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. Don't you love how it's not just saying I rescued you, but, he, but God, as God speaks this oracle, he goes, do you know what I've done for you? I was the one, when you were in bondage, I took the weight off your shoulders. You know, you had to hold on to those baskets. You had to do the work that you were required to do. But I freed your hands. He calls them to remember. In fact, in verse 7, we find him describing, in distress, you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. A lot of the uh, scholars will um, see and hear that this is a reference to Mount Sinai. When, when Moses met with God on the mountain in that secret place of thunder as, as God was meeting with Moses. And, he, and so God's calling their attention. Do you remember that? Do you remember these stories? And then he says at the end part of verse 7, I tested you at the waters of Meribah. There's two places uh, in the Old Testament, in, one in Exodus and one in Numbers, where the people of God, um, in their journey that they were taking from slavery to the promised land, that was lengthened because of their desire to go and chase after an idol instead of relying and waiting upon God. And there's these two times where they call out to God and they just say, I'm thirsty. We have no water to drink. Why would you bring us out here? And so the, the place is called, the water is called Meribah, which means quarreling. What God does with this is he says, I need you to remember the story. Why would God want us to remember the story? In God's actions, God reveals himself. God shows forth his identity and his mission in how he acts in this world. And so he's saying to him, I need you to know me. I need you to understand what my mission is for you. I need you to remember the story so you know who I am. Don't just show up today and have a party and, and say it's all good because I told you to have a party. Remember what I have done for you. And then he gets to the meat of it. The real thing that he wants them to hear. In fact, it is the word here. It's going to show up in verses 8, 11, and 13. 
And the word here, when we, in our English translation, when we, hear, when we read the word here, it's the same Hebrew word as listen. And so we read in verse 8, Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. And in verse 11, But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. And in verse 13, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. We've said it before. In the Bible, whenever you see something repeated three times, it's God saying, I'm going to, this is prior to Microsoft Word or some other uh, program. So there's not the opportunity to put it in bold and italics and underline. But that's what God's doing. You really need to pay attention. This is what I'm getting at. God says in his oracle by the repetition, here, you guys need to listen. You're not listening. Have you ever talked to someone and you know they're not listening? You know that experience, right? Maybe it even happened this morning and and you're talking to somebody and and they were just kind of looking over your shoulder at something else. It used to be that, that it was all because of TVs, when TVs were the big screen that we had, and, and someone was watching maybe ESPN, not that it would be this generic, but, and then someone else is talking from some other part of the house, and the person just is barely listening. With our, the um, ever-present phone, maybe we're finding that more and more now. God was revealing, but the people weren't listening. Thankfully, in the text, God gives us some marks of what listening looks like. Some marks of what listening and not listening looks like. In verse 9, in verse 9, where it says, There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. Not listening results in foreign gods, uh, strange gods being embraced. That, that if, you, if you see these other priorities, these other ways, and the, the big thing about idols back in, in Old Testament times was it was a way of managing God. That, that in, instead of having to depend on the, the invisible God who is, who cannot be captured in an idol, people wanted idols. Other nations had idols. You could put an idol somewhere in your house and you could focus your attention and it made God real to you. And in our culture today, we may not craft idols like that, but, but we have competing priorities for God. We, we say, oh yes, God, you're first, you're first in my life. But then we have all these other priorities in our life and in our calendars and, and in the way we treat people. And, and we create all these other priorities. And God's pointing out, you know, a mark of listening is that there are no foreign gods, strange idols, strange gods, among you. In verse 11, not listening is equated to not submitting. So if you're not listening, then you're not submitting. And that means if you were listening, you would be submitting. They had said, listen, we're following your statutes about having a party. (laughs) We're pretty good, aren't we? And God admonishes them, wait a minute. If you were listening, you would be submitting. And the idea is to all that I have said to you. You'd be submitting to my mission, my heart, my identity. In verse 13, we find that listening equates to walking with God. 
that we would walk in his ways. Not only does the passage give us these marks of listening and not listening, it also provides for us the rewards, the benefits, the, the payoffs for, for listening and uh, hearing what God has to say, understanding, opening ourselves up, not just to what we want to hear, but to what God is saying. In verse 10, we're told, uh, God says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. It's a picture of, I want to give you abundance. Think of yourself in an agrarian culture where you were dependent upon how the harvest comes in and, and whether the crops are full and, and if there's an oppressing force around you. And, and God's saying, I want to give you abundance. My desire is to give you abundance. And if you would only listen to me, then open your mouths wide and I will fill it. Verses 14 and 15, which read, I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand. See, if, if we listen, if his people listen to him, God says, I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him. In other words, God would so work on behalf of his people, the other folks would, would like, they'd make faces in response to God's power and their fate would last forever. God's saying to his people, trust me, I provide for you. Don't just listen to the things you want to. Don't just listen to the things that fit into your desires. But listen to me, hear me. And then in verse 16, he goes, uh, there's a little change in a pronoun. It goes from, instead of first person uh, pronoun, it, it, it's a uh, third person. Um, it says he, but it means God. And he goes, he, he will provide you with the finest wheat. And then he switched back to the first uh, person pronoun. He goes, and, and I will give you honey from the rock. You remember the story at Meribah where, where it was water that God provided that was water from a rock? And God's saying, listen, if you listen to me, not only will I give you the water you want to drink, I'll give you honey from the rock. I want to give you abundance. This is the God. This is the fiat from the Father. Listen here. And so maybe we might find a parallel in our own lives. Maybe we're a lot more like the Stanford band than, than we like to uh, admit. We're, we're on the field going, oh, it's a party. And for us, it's, we know that through Jesus Christ, we get heaven. He died in our place so that, that he paid the penalty uh, on the cross so that we can go to heaven. And we, we think about the party, and so we just start dancing of, it's going to be a party but we're not listening. We're not hearing. We're not opening ourselves to what God wants to teach us and to give us. And so all we do is we focus on, okay, God, there's a party coming and we're excited about it. But then we have the foreign God of our own priorities in our lives. And we go about doing things our way. We approach God on our terms. We practice selective hearing. You might be wondering what this is together here on the table. It's an illustration I hope works. <laughs> we, I think, each come before God, and maybe we set our capacities for what we're open to hearing from God. 
We're, we, we have our various shapes and sizes. And so some of us come in and, and, and we have just, you know, God, I pretty much have my life mostly set. And, and I'm, only, I'm open for a little bit, you know. I uh, happen to found this on, on my way in and maybe there's just a little bit of opening to what you want to teach me. And, but otherwise, I'm going to tune you out. It could be that some of us enter and we've got a big bowl. We're hungry for what God teaches. We, we want to know what God wants to share with us. And as soon as we have it, and we, we come on, on a Sunday like this, and we come together and we stuff all we can in from what we heard with God, we, we get home and we uh, put a lid on it, and we put it in the refrigerator, and it'll be fresh next week. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll pull it out next week. We'll come back and we'll go, what else do you have for me, God? I, I'm open. And maybe our refrigerator is full of these bowls. And we just keep stuffing them in there. I've heard a lot from God. And it's all fresh right in there. Maybe some of us have more of a, a designer approach and, and we've really carved out and, and, and we like to receive, but, but only if it fits the shape that we want it to fit in our life. God, we're open to hearing you speak if it fits the way I want to live. And so God, in our text, comes, and it's a strong word, he admonishes. He says, I don't want any of this. Don't come to me. Don't come to me on your terms. Don't come to me on your terms. I'm the one who set you free. Jesus came into this world and he was announcing that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, that the kingdom of God was at hand. We've talked about it before. The kingdom of heaven is what's true about heaven. It's the kingdom of God, that God rules. And, and through Christ, heaven is stretched into this world whenever someone follows Christ. He says, in this kingdom, don't come to me on your terms. You know, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we, we use those words and, and, you know, that it's his body broken for us. And that's not just part of our current party. Yes, in our church we celebrated uh, the first Sunday of each month. But it's not just part of our party. There's a memory. God has accomplished something in the past. And that was that on, on the cross... Jesus died for us. He paid the penalty. Do you remember? In fact, even in the words, as often as you eat of this, do so remembering me. Remember. Because in the act of dying on the cross, God revealed himself. God, God showed us his identity. God taught us about his mission, that God desires none to be lost, and, and that we're to, to live out his calling in our world. And so when we come, and, and we come not just focused on our capacity or what we want to do, we need to remember those words that Jesus said, listen, if, you, if you're living in my kingdom, here's what I say to you. Are you hearing? Are you listening? Are we listening? Deny yourself. 
and take up your cross daily and follow me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Have no other gods before me. Encourage one another. Shine light. Forgive. Pray. Feed. Clothe. Visit. Love. Maybe a way to think of it is who's on just beyond the edge of your love. You've, you've drawn a line of where you might be loving. I've drawn a line of where I might be willing to love and who's just beyond that edge or who's two miles beyond that edge. And God says, love that person. Love that person. Not just some kind of mushy emotional love, but live your life for the well-being of that person in the way of Christ. Is there someone you haven't forgiven yet? Is there someone we haven't forgiven yet? Who needs encouraging, visiting, clothing, feeding from you this week? Are we hearing? Are we listening? 